0: How can we safely explore the difficult subject matter of Shakespeare's plays in an era where trigger warnings on new work are commonplace? How can we manage the nerves that sometimes come with performing the well-known, somewhat culturally-laden works of Shakespeare? How can Shakespeare be used for mindfulness? I explored these questions and more with actor, director, educator and psychologist Simon Ward. This is part two of our conversation. Part one, The Voice and Shakespeare, is available for download too. Welcome to Let Him Roar Again. I'm Amy Perry. All right, well, welcome back. Hello, Simon Ward. Simon Ward is my guest today. Uh, We spoke earlier, Simon, about Voice and Shakespeare, This time we're going to talk about Shakespeare and psychology, which we know you're eminently qualified for um, as a practicing psychologist with four psychology degrees, but also with that acting training behind you, both here and overseas. So given all of that, let's dive into some more of the psychology as actors, um, both in terms of Well being and stage fright and things like that, uh, but Mm -hmm. also in terms of audience members and the way that Shakespeare's plays can impact us. So, given that so many of Shakespeare's plays deal with traumatic events and violence, how do we prepare audiences, actors, and even students when we're dealing with teenagers in particular? How do we prepare those people to delve into them? Do we now need trigger warnings? On Shakespeare's plays. I guess I'm coming at this question, Simon, from this idea that Shakespeare, because he's been part of the canon for so long, taking our kids to see Shakespeare or to study Shakespeare is always PG. And I I don't know that the themes, when explored well, really fit within that PG rating. What do you think? What do we need to do to prepare Mm -hmm. audiences and students to deal with them?
1: There are There are companies now that are, that that do put trigger warnings in their programs, or they say these are the themes in here. And so let me address this a couple of ways. So I think there are different strategies that you need for the different groups. So in, so in terms of actors, uh, you need things like open discussion, clear boundaries, good psychological warm downs after rehearsals, a discussion within a rehearsal room. About what this brings up, what the meanings are, what you want to bring out. Um, making sure people have exercises which psychologically help them to do self care, to separate themselves from their character, um, and that they have access to support. That every single production company and theatre company in Australia has a psychologist on call or indeed on staff, um, has first mental health first aid training for all of their crew, like that it's part of the discussion um and that that is a much more uh, that's a bigger part of a rehearsing of something like this i mean you wouldn't do uh i mean there are certain plays that people just that they wouldn't think twice about having an intimacy director come in now mm-hmm. For, well fortunately you know and rightly so so we need a mental health director you know and that doesn't mean that they're there every single line, but it means it's a way of making it a bigger thing. So that says, and that's actors, um, students, I'm thinking more school age here rather than acting because acting students and actors kind of the same stuff. Yeah. Um, sometimes the trigger warnings are useful, but specific as you go. Because, I I mean, having a general one, like, okay, if anything comes up in this class that, you know, brings anything up for you, make sure you're doing stuff to keep yourself safe, is a great one at the start of a lesson. But then say, okay, today, we're looking at um, the end of Romeo and Juliet, Mm -hmm. where uh, we're doing themes of loss and love and despair and suicide and uh, all that. And so those those are pretty big. We're going to go gently into this um, and to let us know if something comes up for you. If it does, take a moment yourself and then we'll... So, you, so you're so you sort of connecting it with the specific theme of that day or the specific topic. Um, also because students need a, a little bit, some more stepping stones into themes um, rather than something bad could happen because then what you're talking about General trigger warnings are pretty ineffective. The research is pretty clear on that, because they become a little bit like um, road road warning signs. You know, no, um, slippery when wet, or dangerous curves ahead, or whatever. And so, um, dangerous curves ahead. Good title for a show. The um, <laughs> the. But when you go specific, that's when they can be useful. So, um, for students saying, okay, we're doing, these are some of the themes. This is what a theme is. This is what a metaphor is. And so using specific uh, little flags or little markers for that is helpful. For audiences, that's a trickier package because um, if uh, it does depend, of course, who do you think your audience is? Mm. The question that we all love filling out in the grant applications, right? The um, <laughs> Anyone <laughs> who comes to see it is the answer. But if you're doing, if you're working... F- been asked to write a you know a three-hander for uh, a touring version that's got to go to rural primary schools mm. Mm. right of of i don't know twelfth night or midsummer or whatever there are certain things in that for a start it, it's not going to be three hours long so there's your first thing but when sally says this appears you go okay thematically what do we put in this mm. and what do we leave out and by leaving it out what do we do to the so for those, for, for for I have huge admiration, and I would never attempt it either. It's far beyond my scope of skill of adapting something for for kids mm. or for educational context is a separate world. And but again, what do you use TV ratings for theatre? And this is not a new debate. This has been used before, mm. um, or indeed, maybe it's not the play, maybe it's the production. Yes. I mean, we meant, I mentioned. Barry Kosky last time and he's not averse to a bit of nudity and a couple of phalluses swinging around and mm. a lot of fake blood so um you could be doing owl yeah, and the pussycat went to sea but all of a sudden they're in punk gear on motorbikes <laughs> yes. shooting heroin into their eyeballs right so yeah is it the production or is it the text and if mm. we start and i think that's where it becomes the difference because i think with for audiences um i don't think you should grade the text i think the production like we have to put, you know, there is there is strobe lighting, yep. for instance, for mm-hmm. people with epilepsy and things. That's pretty standard now, and stage smoke. Like everyone, like you rig that. Um, You can also put the production also contains nudity. I think you have to put that mm. now. Um, and uh, extreme language or adult scenes, or I think that's okay, because then you're allowing the audience to then manage their own stuff. I think the moment we take over and say, uh okay look this is a trigger warning problem with that is then the other person that you are wanting to can become passive which dismantles can dismantle some resilience mm. not always and i'm not and i think it should be used that should be used carefully about more about the production than the text i mean even some of carol churchill's stuff right or which can be quite um uh um what's the word brusque evocative um gritty uh still says okay the has themes of you could put has themes of um and sometimes directors notes do this in programs anyway mm. as themes of uh, rape also includes strobe lighting stage smoke some nudity i mean they put that on the king lear thing usually when you know edmund runs on and is nude or he's nude on the heath or whatever mm. um they're in this production game nudity, and i think okay then people make their own call about the production but i think if we start rating the text because of the themes in it, um, more than, okay, just to let you know, uh, if you've never seen Hamlet and you have a bit of family drama going on, right? Do we put that, or do you say, okay, contains um, Hamlet, or do you put something in the the advertising which says this production uh, is um, not necessarily for young children or young people? I um, think yeah.
0: there, there are two things there. One, the director's notes are a little bit late when you're trying to make a choice um, that's true. about what you see and what you don't. Mm. Uh, so if you're going to put it in advertising, that's one thing. But doesn't that exclude most of Shakespeare's Canada? <laughs> like yes, yes, it are, does. There are things <laughs> in everything we
1: look oh, at. Oh, absolutely. And yep, you're right, racism. Yep. That's it.
0: Incest, and some of, incest some, sexism. Particularly in Shakespeare, and I think that's why we are still putting these plays on, because they ask us to explore that humanity. Um, Yeah. But you're right, the production brings out different things. I I know I've seen productions of Macbeth before where I've walked out thinking it's about power um, Mm. and then saw the beautiful Sport for Jove production of Macbeth where it was all about the children. But um, mm. not being prepared for that in the same way, A, I don't even know what I respond to until I'm responding to it. And that's part yes. of the beauty of theatre, isn't it, that we're placed yes. in those positions.
1: Yes, absolutely, absolutely.
0: So I guess we're walking the line then between making sure that people are safe and and warned enough to care for themselves but still being able, you're right, to build that resilience um, to be able to respond to things a little more. Mm. And maybe that's why we adapt the comedies more for the younger Mm. students, that it's it's almost easier. Although something like Midsummer Night's Dream, you're sidestepping around quite a lot if you are only dealing with the child-friendly G-rated sections. Mm.
1: Yep absolutely and to um and every uh, about you know using shakespeare as an int- uh, to kids yeah. or, as, or to children as walking to theater and this is all i can do and look at these amazing things and there is a and there is a, a trend because it works to adapt children's books yes. to to touring productions and some of them are wonderful <laughs> and beautiful and amazing yeah um mem fox wonderful australian children's author wrote possum magic amongst zillions of others was once interviewed and said the most important page of a children's book is the blue page which is the page where something sad happens or something troubling or something disappointing or something s- scary or unsettling um, and every single good children's book you will ever look at has a blue page possum magic has one right where they get separated and she can't find him yeah right the good kids books the good children's authors even of the little kids so Roald Dahl for instance why does Roald Dahl still sell out more than you know the the 170 story treehouse books or David Williams or any of the new ones right that mean they sell very well because they're gritty and they're earthy and they're silly and disgusting and scary
0: yeah
1: and if you look at um uh you know the harry potter books for instance which are designed to be read from the age of you know eight nine ten whatever up to you know 15 16 um and they track child development um there are uh, in terms of adjectives for emotions there are 300 and something Mm. in those books and kids love them so why are we shying away from from this and i think the um darkness and light and um helping kids with metaphor and with language early is um so helpful the classic kids books very hungry caterpillar mm-hmm. where is the green sheep right they have conflict and it's small and it's a manageable sized chunk for that age and that is important not to overwhelm for the shake of shocking because a lot of and i mean you've directed more productions and i ever have um, but you know about there's always i always think there's a there's a it always comes about where you think oh you know i could just push this we could overwhelm we could shock here yeah you know we could stand naked in the middle of the stage ourselves blue and then pour teapot over us you know right right so um there's always a moment and but for kids the the thing with that i think we'd be careful with is um shying away from make someone sad make someone cry every single kid's production i mean look at the gruffalo mm. right rates its socks off yeah, to kids right. there are audiences still now it's touring again hopefully hopefully fingers crossed this uh this coming year it plays to four-year-olds mm. and it talks about loss and identity mm. and confusion and and yes, it's a big monster who can't find a friend if you're a little kid but then when you're older it's like oh this right yeah and like 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 you said exactly before that's what you read 20 years ago when you read the play is not what you read it now and so this is the end of a long rant about Simon to say, don't shy away. Have something at the start um, or in the program or on the advertising that says, if something comes up for you during this production, please do what you need to do to keep yourself safe or to take a moment. General themes to be aware of might include this. Great. And then it's done. And so we're acknowledging it. It's part of a conversation, but it allows people to step into an experience where they might be challenged.
0: And that's okay for adults as well as teenagers. I know we kind of ended up there talking about students and and teenagers, but I think that that's important for actors and audiences as well and how um, as adults we respond to things because the things that upset me now as an adult are quite different to the things that upset me as a four-year-old, as a Um, 14-year-old. So I can revisit, you're right, the same play but find completely different trigger points with my bunny ears on trigger points. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What about um, just shifting gear a little bit? Some of the anxiety that comes with producing something like that. These Shakespearean plays are so huge in terms of the themes they deal with. We've talked a little bit about um, the technical acting requirements in, in part one of this interview, but What about when an actor approaches or even a director approaches a Shakespearean text and some of the anxious thoughts that we might have um, in attacking something of the canon, something that carries such weight for us? What can we do to ease that? Is there a way that we can introduce Shakespeare's plays um, in a rehearsal room or as an actor on the floor? How can we ease that sense of being overwhelmed by Shakespeare
1: <laughs> yes absolutely it should always be said in a oh, kind of voice <laughs> <I> mean, uh, <laughs> exactly we uh, feel it and acknowledge it and spend time naming it um it was either oh someone who played Hamlet it could be Rory Kinnear it might have been or Ian Richards, I can't remember I heard an interview talking about playing Hamlet and the terror because every you hear everyone else's version yes in your head and and and, you know it's and it's the same with any big any big role in 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 any kind of art like that all you can think of it's like anyone that does a Sinatra cover Mm. you know you hear Sinatra's voice in your head the track goes on and so name it feel it it's really important to feel it and spend time I would say like the first what you do at this on the first hour of rehearsals of course everyone knows, is so important and spend an hour on what this means what comes up when you think when you found out you were or you were doing it what are the words that come to mind what are the first five words that come to mind when you think this what are the first five words that come to mind when you think you're playing Hamlet? what and put them all up on a whiteboard or on paper or whatever, and get everyone to get it out there so that, as a collective experience, we have all of our worries and woes and associative meanings and whatever comes up, also because it tells you a lot about what an audience might come up when they yes. think, mm-hmm. you know, because a lot of people walk into Shakespeare ready to be educated and have a very cerebral experience. Or right? to
0: recite along with the actor Or their favourite rec- bac- yes. soliloquy. Mm.
1: yes absolutely yeah i'll correct them if they get a line wrong you know like it's yeah and and it's weird like so i think acknowledging it and naming it and spending time with that until the company feels yep yeah okay now from here what do we want to bring to this what would we like from this um and then approach that with curiosity and interest and nervousness because nervous interest is excited interest because it's the same um physiological activation of adrenaline hmm. um so if i'm oh, oh what's this okay it's a kid who um grabs a leaf they haven't seen for the first time a here leaf with little spikes down the side and goes oh and the intensity of interest in that gaze that's the interest we need when we come to anything in life frankly but particularly Um, putting on plays putting doing theatre it's that because if we don't have that then there's no hope the audience is going to have that
0: no but also
1: you can't be anxious and do that at the same time even though it feels similar
0: so how do you find one and not the other
1: um start for a place of knowing that during this journey of rehearsing this there are going to be moments where i'm going to freak out and when i do that is brilliant information there is wisdom in freaking out it's like there's wisdom in being angry, there's wisdom in my face leaking, you know, and and from that perspective, if you are freaking out, if that's the atmosphere in the rehearsal, we go, oh, hey, you're freaking out. Do you need a bit of a a bit of a moment? Okay, great. Okay, what, what? oh, that's so fascinating. Tell me more. This is so cool. Can you freak out a bit more? Because we need more of this. Freak out more. Get freak out more. Because at that point, you immediately freak out less because you can't make yourself freak out more. It's trying to stop yourself from freaking out will make you freak out, but making yourself freak out won't make yourself freak out. So from a physiological point of view, calming your body down, using some mindfulness stuff, some breathing stuff, physical movement, getting the adrenaline moving will help settle. But using it as information, there's great wisdom in that stuff.
0: Yeah, you talked about two things there that I want to just link back to. One was about thinking through what what it is that are the preconceptions that we come to a play like Shakespeare or a Shakespearean play with. and I've popped up on the website some thought experiments for the classroom and how to begin to unpack all of those preconceptions of what a student comes into the classroom with. And um, so if you're interested in that as a as a link, go and have, mm-hmm. go and check that one out. Um, but coming back to all of the performers that have come before in a role, perhaps this is my age and generationally the lack of YouTube um, <laughs> when I was younger, but I know there's more of a tendency now to look up someone else's performance and the availability of that. I could not have seen 20 productions of Hamlet um, and yet now they're on tap at my desk. Where's the line there between watching a previous production uh, and having that in your head and allowing that to maybe give you some confidence that it can be done? Uh, and just attacking it from your own understanding as, as a starting point.
1: Extremes. Mm. Either watch nothing or watch everything. <laughs> yeah. When you watch one or two, you will imitate or you'll pick. Mm. But if you watch everything, you'll have so many different things bubbling that you can then discard, draw on. So you've you're, you're given yourself your freedom back. If you only listen to one or two, you you get trapped by it, and it's the same. I see this when I do singing students, and they've only listened to the American cast recording or something, and they come in and they sing in an American accent. And you say, "Well, why are you singing an American accent?" And that's a beautiful uh, impression of Leia Salon that you're giving there, singing a whole new world. But um, can we have can we have you please? Um, because you're because we. we'll we'll imitate if we like something we'll be drawn to it and then we'll imitate it and so for me that's the rule it's like okay if you listened to this person over and over your job for the next week is to go away and to go onto youtube and do the youtube rabbit hole and find the student production from milwaukee high of this show and the one from the state theater of uh singapore and like watch everything
0: because they're all there
1: they're all there absolutely so in one sense the danger is that we stay at you know one, two, three, or five versions mm. as a, and then we get then we develop an aesthetic bias towards a particular performance before we've started a rehearsal process.
0: I think that about the um into the woods soundtrack as a teenager, I think I came across the English cast recording first, uh, yeah. and that was completely in my head. that was all I knew of into the woods, and then I remember coming across the American because a friend. I think it must have been at Theodernopeia and somebody only knew the American cast recording and listening to that and, and just the bodily reaction to, uh, how, yeah. it doesn't work like that.
1: No, it how doesn't does work. That? yes.
0: <laughs> and now both, yeah. of course, sit side by side, but you yeah. can get very um, attached to yeah. one version.
1: Absolutely. And it's um, it's good, but it's dangerous. And it's mm. that whole thing that, there's a you know i mean I'm, you're more familiar with this but as a discussion in education about the concept of reading widely or listening mm. widely or yes. you know like and uh the idea that you sh we should be exposing ourselves to so many different voices and ideas and patterns and stuff but no i'm only going to listen to billy eilish and i'm only going to listen to this album and nothing was written before 2005 and nothing was sung before you know 2012 and i don't need it so why would i need it and if i have to learn it for an exam it's on google so the yeah so i so that's i mean that's a different discussion but there's a um uh yeah it's everything or nothing that's that would be my rule is yes. there
0: mm-hmm. one play or one role of shakespeare's that means more to you than others i know that as an actor and educator i have a an affinity with some roles mostly because I've mm. played them or delved mm. into them but is there one that means more to you than others is there one that you just love engaging with or that you're desperate to play
1: um Hamlet is the first one that comes to mind because I think that was um I've always come back have come back to that and thought about it in different ways although I'm probably too old now to be cast as hamlet although i don't look at viewers i don't i don't listeners, i don't Casting. Um, well absolutely well you know look they cast vanessa redgrave and james old jones as beatrice and it you know mm. so you know and 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 sir ian has just played hamlet uh in Britain. never too old never too old absolutely and um so hamlet is one i've always come back to um because i learned so much from it and i love the idea of it and I've seen lots of different versions and it's something that i've always wanted wanted a bit of a crack at um one that i would i just love to play um i'd love to play malvolio mm.
0: uh
1: in twelfth night um just because you know it's that. yeah because it, it like because it's it's ridiculous and fun and i wanted there's oh should i reveal it now there's a bit of business that sir donald sindon did in a production at the rsc that I can't remember whether Peter Hall or Trevor Nunn directed it in the late '60s, early '70s. Um, and I'll tell you what, what the business is, because you know it'll feature, but you'll laugh anyway when I do it. And it, there is a garden, and um, Malvolio walks out, and you know by this stage he's been established as this arrogant, smug, uh, ebullient, obsequious, horrible, you know, arrogant person. And he walks over, and there's a sundial and some flowers, and he looks at the sundial takes a breath and then takes out his watch and looks at the watch and looks back at the sundial, and looks at his watch, looks back at the sundial and then moves the sundial <laughs> to match his watch. <laughs> uh, that is wonderful because it gives, yeah, so I want to do that, that, yeah, that role for that. Uh, oh, yeah, anyway, so those are the two.
0: Okay, the casting agents right now. And <laughs> um, getting back to the psychology a little bit, Do you think that Shakespeare has an application in mental health and psychology? I know that there are lots of books, Shakespeare Every Day, um, that ask us to engage with Shakespeare in a mindful way. Do you think there's a place for that? Can Shakespeare be harnessed for that?
1: Yes. It will not surprise you to hear me say it. Thank you. Yes, yes, (laughs) absolutely. Next question. Uh, yes it can allow me permit me to elaborate a little there are over 700 that's one figure i've heard uh references to psychiatric or psychological uh illnesses symptoms disorders mm. in this plays and um every single character um has at least one that whole uh, thesis antithesis idea that every that everyone is struggling with something that doesn 't fit inside them mm. at some po- at some level, and so from a from a, um, a mental health psychological point of view, there are so many th- yes, there are so many different accessible references um, to characters and to feelings and to emotions and to how they work and to relationships and I think the So yes, absolutely. The in terms of mindfulness, good mindfulness, I want to say good mindfulness, I mean, not meditation as such, um, which is about uh, taking yourself out of your uh, physical awareness, but mindfulness where you're aware of your physical body, and your cognitions and emotional states at the same time. Um, That kind of mindfulness practice. um, So that's very uh, like used in forms of yoga, that form of mindfulness with poetry, the rhythm, of it leads into us, um, which is why, you know, a great album would be, you know, mindfulness with the Bard or something. And then you get really, and then you just sit in the rhythm of the poetry Mm. because it's, it's a rhythmic state and we all, and you know, there's great research about, um, why is it an iamic line, for instance, and that five beats being linked to an activation of cognitive and emotional states and various things um and when so there's that stuff also um the the use of things like metaphor particularly natural metaphor by natural metaphor i mean not um, metaphor that describes the natural world mm-hmm. so linking your internal state to an external thing as a from an emotional and psychological thing that's incredibly helpful and healthy uh for instance uh, stephen fry had a thing about depression, when he was going through his um, manic depression, as it was then called bipolar, um, that the depression is being inside a storm and, and, uh, and the rains coming down. And of course, when you're in it, you don't think the storm will ever end, but of course, emotions and weather and the storm will arrive and it will crash and it will flood things and it will strike you with lightning and the thunder will be loud and you can't, but then it will change and the clouds will move and it will keep going. And because that's what clowns do. That's what emotion does. If you don't interfere and try and grab the cloud and wrestle the lightning to the ground, it will move on. It will pass through you. It might leave you a bit damaged and sore and a bit wrecked afterwards, but so that as a metaphor uh, is all the way through Shakespeare. I think I, I, yeah. So that is really useful. One of the interesting things in terms of um, child and adolescent development in terms of language at the moment is the lack decrease in the use of metaphor and language because where because of the social medias we're training kids to be reactive and to be really really good at being reactive in a really narrow way so that i can respond with an emoji yes yeah and an, an emoji is an emotional state and it's not, because if you look at the research about face, facial expressions, um, the only time you get a, an actual emotional kick is when it's a human face.
0: Hmm.
1: So they could just employ, I don't know, a couple of actors to do all the human faces for the emojis, except they don't because cartoons give us a level of distance yes. and so we're training up kids to, to have ADHD and bad social skills because, um, be warned when people say, oh, I, I spoke to. And I say, did you speak to them or did you tap to them? I tapped to them. Okay. Um, the use of phones as phones is something that's going out of fashion, like smoking. And there'll come a point where making a telephone call to hear someone's voice mm. will be a rare thing,
0: mm. because
1: the current generation and so the current generation, the lack of metaphor. Also, metaphor as um, if I say, out, out, brief candle. Right. You um there's an age in terms of developmental stage where you think it's an actual candle. Yes. And then but as you get older, there's a little come a point where you acquire language and experience and where you go, oh well, actually no, it's it's a metaphor for life and uh the human condition and frailty and all that kind of stuff. And so but that second stage is much less now in terms of the language that's used in newspapers, in gaming, in online texts, in posts, in advertising and so that's so so back to psychology and shakespeare cognitive development and psychological development is based around how expressive can i be about my internal state how can i communicate what's going on in me so other people can get it so i can be heard and seen and understood Mm. and if we're not helping them with those skills and by them i mean people or kids particularly
0: yeah, I How? don't know that it's it's just with kids. I think. Oh the no, more it's adults as well. Absolutely. I use my own phone. Um, you know, the more yeah. we do that, that it's becoming all ages, yeah. intergenerational. Absolutely.
1: And you know, there's a great there's a great bonus to it. Like mm-hmm. it's it's a great thing, and I use it absolutely. So I'm not being a, a you know luddite for the sake of here, but no. there are consequences also neurophysiologically about brain development in structures. So that if I'm speaking to a human, mm-hmm. and I start to do things with my voice like I'm doing now, where I'll start to vary the prosody and the pitch and tone of my voice. One of the things that'll happen, if I keep doing this enough, is that the listeners, hi, dear listeners, um, will start to assume two things. One, that they can feel calmer, and therefore will listen a little more attentively because their threat response system will have calmed down. And the second one is that they will perceive me to be more intelligent than I am. Teach me that. Okay. So it's the use, that use of your two-octave vocal range Mm. um, is actually really, really important. David Attenborough, So David Attenborough, the wonderful national world treasure that he is. Why is it his programs are so good? And why is it that when we listen to someone else narrating a nature documentary, it doesn't feel right? Mm. Because when he starts talking, his voice leaps around with a great deal of range. And then he will start to pause and use differences in pitch and tone and pacing to draw attention to his point and it's hypnotic and brilliant and it, and it and physiologically it does physical things to our threat response system so our um our larynx our limbic system our um lower um our autonomic nervous system um our vagal polyvagal system all relax and feel safer when we hear voices like that which is why when we hear a politician being a bit monotone and just doing that it gets really grating have you noticed that it's really quite hard and i'm just going to say jobs and growth and jobs and growth and jobs and growth right so we have a visceral reaction Mm. because of how our brains are wired to associate with meaning and sound and tone and volume and so from a mindfulness perspective, the rhythm is great. From a psychological perspective, the meaning and the language is great. And from a physiological perspective, the how we say the text actually can help with that. And Shakespeare will does things in terms of his word choice and word order and syllable order that will make you slow down a line. And that will change, someone's, that will change your psychological well-being. That's my speech. Thank
0: you. I think it's incredible that um, you know. I I'd, and maybe I'm misguided, but my vision of Shakespeare writing these plays is not one of him sitting and thinking about word order or thinking about metaphor. So I do wonder, as he's on the stage with actors, whether it was more part of what they were doing. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Where now? I think,
1: even, I think it came from a very felt, a very felt sense yes. of. I, you know, this, oh that 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 lands. So in so the first version of um oh there's that wonderful clip about to be or not to be, that is the question and how we say it at the anniversary of the you know yes, of the RSC. The um, oh the, yeah. oh the, no, it's the RSC, wasn't RSA, it?
0: RSC, you're right, yeah.
1: yeah and it had everyone that had played Hamlet and as well as Judy dench and very people And then Prince Charles gets up again. But but that it's it's that kind of thing. Like there would have been a version of that without the words in that order unless he where he wrote it went on oh, and it gave it to an actor to say it and it's that old thing about you have to hear shakespeare yes yeah and and it's absolutely true and i think that the it's like teaching music if you want to teach music you don't show kids the dots for about three months mm. and what we learn from so the research about teaching music is that you learn faster if you don't see the dots for a while which is against every single traditional
0: yeah.
1: version mm. of how you teach music but if you look at the research coming out from a guy called Paul, uh, Dr. Paul Harris, who works in the UK and who was one of the people who taught us how to teach at the Royal Academy of Music, um, it's about okay. You want to you want to play the clarinet? Fantastic, brilliant! Blow the thing. Yes, you blow, and I'm going to join in. And you can do put your finger down there. Oh, great! That's a thing called the C. We'll talk about that later. But uh, you keep playing that, and I'm going to improvise around that. Yeah. And we do it with little kids and language. Mm. So if a little kid's first word is i don't know juice right and then we start going juicy juicy juice 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 ju-, right <laughs> yes yeah okay so we do it but the idea that education has to be structured and i refer everybody to Sir ken robinson's talks on ted talk about about education and creativity yep um, to reference this uh, there's psychological freedom and release to make mistakes and be messy is so vital. And every single Shakespearean character is messy. Yes. I mean, maybe. I don't know a neat one that doesn't get stabbed. <laughs> Just <a laughs> thing. That's
0: what it gets you.
1: That's what it gets you, folks. Yeah. So um, from a psychological point of view, Shakespeare is has so many uses. Mm-hmm. And if we can demystify and take some of the scary weight out of it, I think that's yeah the better good things will come
0: it's that sense of play and improvisation that's so important (laughs) in in all aspects of life and in education
1: yeah Uh uh-huh
0: just being brave enough to do it sometimes
1: yeah absolutely yeah absolutely but then we go okay if i'm not brave enough to do it right now there's information in that so i'm gonna sit down and be even more scared go be more scared go and do it more scared don't get up. Don't you dare get up. No, 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 no. I mean, you, you have to make three mistakes in per class. And if you haven't made three, we'll just have to stay through lunch until you've made three mistakes. That's what I say to my classes because, because uh, otherwise you because what are you telling kids? And I, also I'm not quite sure how else you learn because every single parent taught their kids how to tie their shoes using that method of mistakes, as opposed to hand them a pair of shoes and point and go, we'll go on. Yes. And, but suddenly we chuck it out when we get to structured curriculum based syllabus rigid educational systems and i'm not saying that those aren't important or useful but the pressure on teachers to implement and implement and and get through content and get through content Hmm. um in a particular order particularly in music where you 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 basically the music teaching thing hasn't changed you know in 300 years and it's it's ridiculous until you do change it and all of a sudden you end up with an entire movement called jazz
0: yes yes
1: or ironically baroque which is about improvisation originally. <laughs> no one wrote anything down.
0: Yeah. And it's going back to that idea that you need to watch everything or nothing so that you can have that sense of play yes. again. Precisely. Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. And do you think, as, as I'm always curious about this, because you're in the you know, education in the Shakespeare world much more, well, you are in it. Um, do you think that when you're, your average English teacher, right, who does English at uni, as a major and then goes into high school and they've done their master teaching, whatever, and they're in there and they're in their second year out. And someone says, oh, by the way, you're doing year nine and year nine is doing your first Shakespeare. And then they think back to their one semester at uni of Shakespeare, Hmm. for instance, and that's all they've got. And before that, it's whatever they had at school, which might've been Romeo and Juliet in year 10. And then they're standing in front of 28, you know, year nine students who are looking at them like. You just told us we have to what like a cactus, I don't understand what you're talking about. Yeah, and how do we get help? I mean, apart from this fabulous podcast listeners and fabulous resource website, but to those teachers who don't uh, who don't get told this stuff, that's yeah, how do we reach them?
0: I think we have to not presume that Shakespeare is more important or is somehow something that has to be grasped. Mm. There needs to be an assumption that Shakespeare is there to be experimented with, to play with as theatre. So mm. as soon as we go in and we say, oh, "I love Shakespeare," my students often laugh at me. You know, they're, why you crazy, crazy lady? Um, and there's a presumption that I love Shakespeare because I sit and read it and devour it. Yeah. You know, yes. and yes. and that's not the case at all. I think that. Um, for me it's about getting across that love of Shakespeare because I love to play with it I love to play with the language I love to discover new things in the text every time I teach it Um, and my students can teach me so much more about their context and about what they're getting out of things Um, and if I don't leave myself open to that if I set myself up as someone who loves Shakespeare and and always wants to teach it and it's so important for your development as a a student that you understand then I end up producing the opposite which Mm. is you know it's teenagers in particular you tell me Mm. I should love it I am not going to do that
1: yes (laughs) on principle
0: i'll do the opposite so it's about leading that discovery for them and presuming that every single time you teach it will be different because these texts Mm. are so rich and if you're not finding what's different each time or shaking Mm. your practice up a little bit then you've missed the point and Mm. there's not a lot of point in redoing it year after year your classroom practice for shakespeare and like every other unit of work out there needs to be changed guided by the students
1: Hmm. Bravo. Yeah. Well said.
0: I don't know. There are so many thoughts, Simon.
1: So many um, thoughts, but, 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 but it's absolutely it. right. But, the, but that, but that, but that it should be different each time and that it's about play. And that that's the spring from which all things flow, yes. um, is such a different thing from this will be good for you. We yes. call it the, it's the language equivalent of eating rye vita you know and nobody <laughs> left nobody out of the bed to. nobody wants to do that i mean bless ravita there are other crisp brands available listeners um but there's they like nobody does that but that's you're quite right that's the message that they get and that's yeah. I, and yeah
0: particularly when you do a shakespeare every year um yeah you, you might move from romeo and juliet to midsummer night's dream to as you like it to hamlet to othello those plays are completely different, completely different. And although you're teaching some of the basics, um, maybe you're looking at structure in Year 7 or 8, every time you approach one of those plays, it needs to be different. It can't be this is our yearly Shakespeare. Um, Yes. Particularly when you're talking about things like social justice issues and you're exploring race through Shakespeare or... yeah. gender politics through Shakespeare or whatever it might be, all of those plays yeah. are different, although they have the same basis. So yes. that's the same in acting or in English. Yeah. Um, we have those building blocks, but what is it that we're actually building? How do we not go back to the start where we're doing Shakespeare again? Remember, you have to know about iambic pentameter. Remember, you need to mm. know... Um, you know, about a feminine ending on a line that it's not that. How do we grow it each year so that by the end of year twelve things look quite different? Anyway, you could put me on that (laughs) on that bandwagon forever. And that is how we ended up here in this podcast because I think it's such a massive question and deserves more than one blog post or uh, Yes. A little bit of thought, and like you, you've been talking about the science versus the art and improvisation. I think we need to come at it from a number of different angles, and so it's Mm. going to take that time to unpack and to move and to change. Yeah. 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 Anyway, I'm supposed to interview you. You know how. Oh, sorry,
1: sorry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Having said that, as we come to the end of this um, second part episode of our interview, I'm going to ask you to read one of your favourite lines or passages from Shakespeare. Um, I've left the choice completely up to you, so maybe give us a little bit of context and then we'd love to hear your beautiful vocal reading. And I say beautiful with my bunny ears on (laughs) because you talked earlier about everybody having a beautiful voice. So let's hear you read and then we'll, of course, go into your outro for the show let him. Roar. Okay, love it.
1: Well, look, um, before I do, thank you so much. Um, uh, R- Professor Perry, for this wonderful <laughs> opportunity to talk about this, uh, and to delve into voice and to psychology and Shakespeare has reignited so many different passions. And and, uh, and things that I have an ideas. So thank you so much. And thank you for letting roar again. It's really fantastic. And so practical listeners go to the resources um it's because i think that's where you come from it's like well it's great to have ideas and let's explore those but also i'm standing in front of a year eight drama class Mm -hmm. and it's after lunch on a friday and only some of us are going to exit alive what do i do
0: or i've just been cast in my first shakespeare play or i've just been (laughs) my first
1: shakespeare absolutely and i'm going frantically frantically you know through through my old notes trying to go what is the shakespeare i don't know um, okay, cool. So this is um, this is a sonnet. If I can beg your indulgence to do a sonnet, um, this is Sonnet eighteen, um, which uh, I love for two reasons. One, because um, the first line is one of my favourite jokes, which is "Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Hot and sweaty." So you know we had to get that out of the way. <laughs> um, and the other one was because it was uh, I sang this uh, set to music by my friend John Martin at my wedding and so i i do quite uh, quite like it so here we go this is shall i compare thee to a summer's day summer 18. shall i compare thee to a summer's day thou art more lovely and more temperate rough winds do shake the darling buds of may and summer's lease hath all too short a date sometime too hot the eye of heaven shines and often is his gold complexion dimmed and every fair from fair sometime declines by chance, or nature's changing course untrimmed. But thy eternal summer shall not fade, nor lose possession of that fair thou o'st, nor shall death brag thou wanderest in his shade, when in eternal lines to time thou grow'st. So long as men can breathe or eyes can see, So long lives this, and this gives life to thee.
0: Thank you, Simon. Thank you. I wonder, um, an English summer versus an Australian summer, (laughs) whether that (laughs) might have changed that sonnet a little bit. (laughs) That's
1: so true. Oh, yes, the effect of weather on Shakespeare. I'll do my PhD. Uh,
0: (laughs) Thanks again. So lovely to have you Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Let Him Roar Again, a podcast recorded by Amy Perry amid the tall blue gums of Darug country. Performance of Bottom's Lines from A Midsummer Night's Dream by the phenomenal Simon Ward.